Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, send it to me. Box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. And become one of our friends on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Radio Detectives. Well, back on March the 3rd of 2007, not knowing quite what I was doing, as you're about to hear, I launched the Old Time Dragnet Show. It was my first old time radio podcast, but it would not be my last. This past Friday was my 10th anniversary of that uh, moment, and in my first 10 years of podcasting, I did 326 episodes of the Old Time Dragnet Show, 277 episodes of my uh, special series on World War II, The War. 925 episodes and counting of the Old Time Radio Superman Show. 2,136 regular episodes of the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio, not counting specials and such. And 17 episodes and counting of the Amazing World of Radio for a total of 3,681 podcast episodes through... Thursday, which wrapped up my 10th year. Technically, on Friday, I was starting my 11th. To be honest, I was a little bit surprised that I'd gotten quite that many. I was thinking I'd probably be close to 3,000, maybe a little bit over, but yeah. Uh, and I appreciate all the listeners who've been with the program, who've listened to all the countless hours of uh, commentary. Over all these years, and uh, I never quite imagined we would go on this long, uh, but thank you so much for all of your support and encouragement and uh, financial uh, backing as well. You've really helped to uh, make a difference, and so I just want to thank all my listeners for helping us uh, last this long. Now I am, for this special I am going to do something I have never done before. A while back, a listener emailed me with the suggestion that I provide commentary on my commentary on older episodes at some point, which I didn't think would be all that good uh, uh, in terms of giving insight into the into the past. But for the 10th anniversary, I'm going to make an exception. And we're going to bring you the first uh, episode I did uh, with uh, with the commentary at the beginning. However, for the episode, the actual gut of the story, when I played that, it was a much lower resolution version of the episode. So we've replaced the episode itself so that you can... uh, enjoy that better. Um, So we will go ahead and let you hear my first attempt at old-time radio podcasting. And be warned, I am very raw in this clip. So you have been warned. And here now is episode one of the Old Time Dragnet Show. Welcome to the Old Dragnet Radio Show. I'm your host, Adam Graham. We're going to be taking you through the entire Dragnet 
a radio series. The whole series, as far as we know, is in public domain. Yeah, if you've got any information to the contrary, email me at adam at adamsweb.us and we'll certainly remove any, any anything from circulation that shouldn't be here. But as far as we know, any uh, pretty much any radio show between before 1978, uh, unless the creators, many of whom had expired or had no reason to try and maintain copyright, uh, it, I, I, in these all lapsed into the public domain because there was no way to actually copyright them. So we are okay listening to these and uh, enjoying them freely. Uh, this is the very first episode of Dragnet we're going to be playing for you tonight. This is the nickel-plated gun. Uh, and this is going to be interesting in quite a few ways. Those of you who have seen or heard Dragnet before, this is like nothing you've ever seen before. Um, and the show really, I think, starts to next episode uh, become the show that, that we all know from the t television and certainly those who listen to the later radio shows. But this is kind of raw. This is ki this is just ki this is kind this is totally uh, different in a lot of ways. You're going to notice the music is different. It's not the da 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 that we've come to expect from Dragnet. It's entirely different. I'm not even going to try and hum it and spoil, spoil it for you. Uh, but within a few episodes, the show really starts to take the shape it's going to take for the rest of its uh, life. Uh, but this is an in interesting to kind of listen to Mr. We uh, Jack Webb's first attempt. Uh, the show's uh, cast of characters um, includes uh, 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 Barton Yarborough as uh, Joe Friday's partner, Ben Romero, Jack Webb as Joe Friday, and uh, Raymond Burr as the uh, as the cap as the captain. Very distinctive voice here. Raymond Burr may be the most uh, important person ever to appear in the, the series, and he actually is, is is on there in the role of the captain uh, for the uh, for the first. For the first several episodes, and then he leaves off, and uh, we actually uh, end up seeing Raymond Burr again. If you're a fan of the series, he ends up playing in the pilot of, as the ca as uh, the captain in the uh, new uh, in the uh, well, not new, but the television edition of Dragnet. Uh, he is the captain uh, in this one. Of course, he's Captain Ed Backstrand. Uh, Chief of Detectives, and uh, he's, he plays a very critical role, I think, particularly in these first few episodes. But enough of the talk and introduction. Oh, one other thing I should mention before we get to the show. Uh, we act, I've edited the ads out of here. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Fatima Cigarettes actually sponsored the, sh the show. And I, I understand, of course, you know, it was that time, and Particularly when this first episode aired, it was 1949, and we had no idea a lot of the science on this until we got into the 60s. Uh, but still, it, it annoys modern-day audiences, I think, to hear someone saying it's wise to, to smoke a particular brand of cigarettes. So we've, we've edited that out so people can just kind of enjoy the show, uh, particularly because I think the ads are just the same ad every, you know, over and over again, week after week. Um, so this one, this will kind of cut the monotony out. So I'll be back with a few closing comments after the show. But here now is the original Dragnet, the nickel-plated gun. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed. 
to protect the innocent. Dragnet. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime investigated and solved by the men who unrelentingly stand watch on the security of your home, your family, and your life. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step-by-step on the side of the law through an actual case from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, this is the story of your police force in action. Dragnet. It was Tuesday, March 25th. It was cold in Los Angeles. We were working the night watch out of homicide. Detectives in Los Angeles work in pairs. My partner's Ben Romero. He's a sergeant, so am I. My name's Friday. The boss is Ed Backstrand, chief of detectives. I was on the way back from the record bureau, and it was 13 minutes past 11 when I got to room 42. Homicide. That's a hot shot. Somebody grab it. I got it, Ed. One, two, four, five, East Ohini Street. One, two, four, two five. officers shot at one, two, four, five, East Ohini Street. Street. Two officers shot. What have you got, Friday? Read it. Two officers shot. Where's Romero? Right here, Skipper. Okay, you've got one to roll on. Get going. <laughs> Both Ben and I knew where we were heading. We'd recognized the address. It was the Trapdoor Cafe, a joint in the south end of town that did business with a pretty rough crowd. Thirteen minutes later, we pulled up in front. Two patrolmen had the crowd pretty well pushed back. There was a cruiser car in front of the cafe. The car door was open, and an officer was sprawled across the seat. He was conscious but weak, and one of his pant legs was pretty red. Hello, Sergeant. Hi. How you doing? I've done better. Yeah, well, what happened? Williams and I were cruising. We've been keeping an eye on this cafe lately. Tonight we decided to take a look. And just as we went in, two guys left in a hurry. The back door. We followed them out into the alley. It was dark out there, and I called to them. I said, hey, fellas, just a minute. I want to talk to you. They stopped? I'll say. One of them whirled. He had a gun in his left hand. He shot both of us. Left hand, huh? Williams went down and out. I went down, but I took a shot at them. No effect. And I started crawling out here to the car so I could call in. You started crawling? Yeah. Wait a minute, Emerson. Weren't there any people around by that time? Oh, yeah. Quite a few ran out after the shots. You mean nobody would help you to the car? That's right. Huh. Did you get a good look at either of the gunmen? Well, one of them was tall. I think he was a redhead. There was something funny about his nose. That's all I saw. It's too dark out there. Williams was closer. I think he got a good look. Yo, the other officer, Williams. He's in pretty bad shape. Is he breathing? He's still alive, Emerson. I don't know how much time he's got. Ambulance? On the way. Okay, let's round up all the men who are in the cafe. We're taking them in. We took all the men back to the city hall. There were 23 in the trapdoor cafe at the time of the shooting. We questioned all of them. One of them said there had been a redhead in the place, but he couldn't describe him. Ben and I left the interrogation room, and we went back to the squad room. Friday, Romero. Got a minute? Yeah, Ed. Come on, Ben. Mm. Sit down. 
Okay. You get anything from those people you question? Nothing we could use. No. How's Williams? Pretty bad. When do they operate? Soon as he comes out of shock. Probably in the morning. You boys will be there. Yeah, we will. When the surgeon digs that slug out, get it and mark it for evidence. Yeah. Skipper, them two men shot without asking any questions. They must be hot. Yeah. Same thing occurred to me. When we get that slug, the ballistics can tell us whether that gun's been used on other jobs. We got enough of their modus operandi to have the statistician give us a run-through on the IBM now. One of them is left-handed, and he shoots quick. Okay, be in surgery tomorrow morning at 9. Neither Ben or I said much on the way home, but we were both thinking the same thing. I knew the chief was thinking it, too. Here were two men who'd shot a couple of police officers without asking any questions. Now, I suppose you've heard a lot of stories about what the force thinks of cop killers. Sure, we don't like to lose our friends and partners any better than anybody else would. Why not figure it this way? If these two guys would gun a couple of armed police officers, do you think they'd hesitate to shoot you, the unarmed citizen? The next morning at 9 o'clock, Ben and I had scrubbed up and we were in surgery. Williams was on the table. The surgeon started in. A lot of minutes later, he got the slug. As for Williams, they took out seven feet of his intestine and said he might pull through. Joe, here's the report from ballistics. The slug they took out of Williams come from a 44 Smith & Wesson. The same gun was used in a liquor store killing about a month ago. You call the statistician? Yeah, uh-huh. She's running all the cards on previous shooting through the IBM machine. She ought to be through about now. Let's take a look. Okay. Come on. Hi, Helen. Just a second. Okay. Well, that's it, boys. These cards will give you all the shootings pulled by two men on foot who shot quick, one of them left-handed. Right. They're all yours. You sure can tell a lot from just a bunch of little holes in these cars, can't you? <laughs> I can't, but this IBM machine can. It never ceases to amaze me. Okay, shall we check the cards, huh? Yeah, sure, sure. Wait a minute, Ben. Here we are. Huh? Yeah. Here's that liquor store killing ballistics tied the Smith & Wesson in on. Same gun that Emerson Williams was shot with? Well, it checks out. The liquor store was in the same neighborhood as the Trapdoor Cafe. Same gun, huh? Got to be. How long ago? A month ago, yeah. Ben, take the DR number off this card and let's pull the crime report on that job. We pulled the crime report out of the files. It said that there was only one witness to that liquor store killing a month ago. That witness was a woman. Miss Forbes. Sorry to disturb you like this, but we'd like to ask some questions about that liquor store killing you witness a little over a month ago. Well, I told the police everything I knew about it then. Yeah, we know, but maybe you wouldn't mind telling us again, huh? Oh, no, I guess not. I, well, I've been trying to forget it to tell the truth. It was pretty terrible, and I really didn't see so very much because I was awful scared. I understand, but try to describe again just what happened, will you? Well, it was about 10 o'clock at night. I was walking down the street toward home when I re realized I was all out of cigarettes. Well, I was right in front of the liquor store then, so I went in. The clerk was behind the counter, and there were two men standing there arguing. What's the idea of changing your mind? I thought we was going to get bourbon. No, let's get the wine. I want bourbon. Gosh, too much. Wine's good enough. The rest of them want bourbon, too. 
We better talk to him. Well, okay. We'll be back when we make up our mind, mister. Two men walked out of the store, and the clerk smiled at me and shrugged his shoulders. I bought a pack of cigarettes and turned to leave. But just then, the two men came back in again, and each of them had a gun in his hand. There's a stick up, mister. The clerk just sort of crumpled to the floor. I couldn't believe my eyes, but that's just how it happened. The men said this is a stick-up, and then they shot him right away. Get over against the wall, lady, or you'll get the same. One of them punched a the no-sale on the cash register. I, I was shaking so I almost caved in. He scooped the money out of the drawer and stuffed it into his pocket. And then... And the other one went over to where the liquor clerk was lying, face down. He knelt down beside the clerk and put his gun against the clerk's spine. Then they both ran out of the store. It was terrible. That clerk, he was lying there, helpless and wounded, and they, they delivered Yeah, oh, Miss Forbes, I understand. Oh, Miss Forbes, uh, you said that both of the men had guns? Yes. One of the guns was black, and the other was sort of, sort of fancy-looking. What do you mean, Miss Forbes? Well, it was real shiny. Nickel-plated? I wouldn't know about that, but it was shiny. There were two guns, huh? Yes. Well, now about the men themselves. Well, I... I was so scared their faces just didn't register with me. The one who... one who shot the clerk in the back was sort of stocky. It's about the best I can do. Well, you mentioned in the report that one of the men was left-handed. Yes, I do remember that. Uh-huh. Now look, Miss Forbes, this is very important to us. One of the men was a redhead. Redhead? Why, no, I didn't see any redhead. <laughs> Skipper, me and Joe's run right smack into a stone wall on this thing. What's the complication? Well, there's more than one, Ed. In the first place, we know that the 44 Smith & Wesson was used in both shootings. But the descriptions of the men involved don't check. Police officer Emerson said he thought the man that, uh, uh, that shot him and Williams outside the trapdoor cafe was a tall, left-handed redhead. Said there's something funny about his nose. You think Williams got a better look at him? Well, probably did, but Williams isn't strong enough to talk yet. And the girl that witnessed the liquor store killing a month ago said that one of those men was left-handed. But she said neither of them was a redhead. And on top of all that, now we've got two guns to worry about. The girl mentioned two guns, so we checked the autopsy report on that liquor clerk. And, Ed, the bullet that actually killed him came from a thirty-two twenty, not a forty-four Smith & Wesson. That fact didn't get any publicity at the time, did it? No, it didn't. Okay, we won't give it any publicity now either. We'll allow down. It's just the 44 Smith & Wesson we're after. Because if whoever owns the 3220 finds out it's hot, we'll never get it. Anything else? Well, we sent teletypes to all outland stations in neighboring cities. Told them that if they get any red-headed suspects, no matter what charge they got them on, to hold them for questioning. Yeah. Now, how about this 3220, the actual murder weapon? Any leads on it? We've got one, Ed. We've been checking the records, and we discovered that four hours after the liquor store killing, a taxi driver in the neighborhood was shot and robbed. The slug was pretty well mashed, but there was enough to tell it was from a 3220. So we're going over to question the taxi driver now. Good. Well, I think you boys are on the right trail. So far, what we've got is mostly unrelated facts, but sooner or later, those facts have all got to tie in at some point along the line. Find that point. <laughs> Ben and I went over to see the taxi driver, a guy who was living on borrowed time. Yeah, it was about 2 o'clock in the morning when it happened. 
I got a call to pick up a fare near 105th and Avalon, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I got there. Somebody came over, pulled open my cap door and said, this is a stick-up. Then Bluey, you let me have it. Just like that, huh? Yeah, just like that. Same deal as others, Joe. Itchy trigger finger. Yeah. Did you get any kind of a look at the fella? Look, no, no. It's too dark. Uh-huh. Hey, um, according to the report, you got shot in the chest. Yeah, that's right. Oh, you're maybe wondering how come I'm still alive, huh? I'll tell you, pal, it's like something you'd see in a bad movie, you know? You know, I'm carrying a few silver dollars with me. Nine of them, to be exact. So I decided to stick them in my breast pocket. Well, Mr. That just saved my life. The slug hit them silver dollars. It's one for the book, huh? Yeah, you said it. Well, thanks very much. Say, incidentally, we had a little trouble finding you today. You weren't at the stand you operated out of last month. Oh, look, look, I, I'm not only not at my usual stand, I'm not driving a hack no more. Oh? Look, after what happened, are you kidding? No, I don't want to push my luck any further than it's been pushed. Yeah, I figure I had it, you know? <laughs> And about that time, Ben and I were beginning to figure we'd had it. We were getting nowhere fast. We had a few informants nosing around, but so far they hadn't come up with any leads. Well, Ben and I followed up all the teletypes that poured in. We just got back from Santa Ana where we'd been questioning a redheaded suspect, and we'd flopped in the squad room when Chief Backstrand's door opened. Friday, Romero. Got a minute? Please. Yes, Kim. Any luck with the Santa Ana redheads? No, none at all. Hmm. I guess you haven't heard the latest. We just now got back in town, Skipper. Early this morning, another cab driver got shot. What? Yeah. Man came up to his taxi, opened the door, said, this is a stick-up, and shot him. Bullet went through one leg and into the other, but the driver managed to start his cab and drove over to a cafe. He called in from there. Uh, Boris recovered the slug? Yeah. It came from the same 44 Smith and Wesson that was used in the other two jobs. The cab driver get a look at the gunman? Yeah, briefly. Was it the redhead? No. Well, the stocky guy. He wasn't redheaded and he wasn't stocky. That's all the driver knows. That's great. Skipper, this is beginning to sound like a guns of the month club. You reckon somebody's renting them guns out? Well, they're passing the guns around all right, but I think they're working together. The way they operate indicates that. Yeah, the trigger happy routine. Killing is apparently more than a business to them. It's pleasure, too. That's why we've got to get to them fast. Come over here. All right. Come on, Ben. Here, take a look at this map. Uh-huh. Here's the trapdoor cafe, and over here's the liquor store. And down here is where the first cab driver got shot. Mm-hmm. Right here's where the second one got it. Mm. All of the shootings have taken place within an area of ten square blocks. Okay. Tonight we're going to throw a blockade around that whole area. Good. It'll go into effect at 10 p.m. At 9.45 p.m., cars and officers started drifting into the area by twos and threes. And at 10, when Backstrand, Ben, and I arrived, the whole area was sewed up tighter than a tick. Davis, got you. All set? All set. We got a primary line and a secondary line. If anyone tries to make a break, we'll pick him up in the secondary. Okay. Friday and Romero here will cruise around the area with me. Go to work, men. Every car in the area was shaken down. The same process was also followed on all persons on foot. The blockade went on all night. By the end of that time, we'd brought in 217 suspects. 26 of them were redheads. What's your name? Henry Wagner. Where do you work? Lumber yard. Which one? First star. What time did you get through work last night? About six, I guess. What'd you do then? At some dinner. Where? Uh, 
Harry's grill. In what? Shot a little pool. Look, I tell you, I ain't done nothing. Now, uh, let's go back to the day before yesterday. And that's the way it went all day long. We shot question after question at them, working them gradually back to the days on which the shootings had taken place. When it was all over, we got six men wanted in other cities on various charges. We got quite an assortment of guns and knives. But as far as the shootings were concerned, we got nothing. Well, I guess that's the last of them. Oh, I was running out of questions there at the end. You two boys better go on home and get some sleep. Well, I was kind of figuring on checking back over the reports to see if we might have overlooked something. I said go on home. You two boys have been at it for 32 hours straight. Look at you. You're both so groggy you can hardly stand up. You need sleep. It's uh, 4 p.m. now. Don't come back until 10 p.m. When I walked into the squad room at 10, Ben was already there. An informant had just phoned in a new lead. He told Ben he'd heard about a gang that had been hanging out down around the Devere bungalow court in the south end of town. We knew that the Devere was close to the trapdoor cafe, so we went over to talk to the manager. Joe, I've been meaning to ask you. Uh, you checked on how Williams is getting along? Yeah, I did. I called the hospital this afternoon. It's going to be all right. Oh, that's fine. Well, here we are. Yeah, manager's office. Still got a light on. Yeah? I'm Sergeant Friday, police. This is Sergeant Romero. Yeah? We'd like a little information. Why, sure. Come in. Thank you. What can I do for you? Well, did you hear anything about a gang that hangs out down around here anywhere? Gang? Why, no. How about your tenants here? Any of them ever been in trouble, to your knowledge? No. This ain't exactly the best neighborhood in town, but we try to keep things under control. Once in a while, one of them will get out of line, but when that happens, we heave them out of here. You heaved anybody out lately? Yeah, I did. Phoned his wife a few weeks ago. They had a fight in one of the bungalows. She took a shot at him, but she missed. Party by the name of Stuba, Carl Stuba. What did this Stuba look like? Oh, sort of tall, skinny. Was he a redhead? No. Now, we'd like to take a look at that bungalow that he lived in. Sure, sure. Help yourselves. Down the end there, number five. Still vacant. Does it? Stuba didn't leave a thing behind. Matter of fact, we don't have anything to prove that this Stuba's tied in at all. We're only working on a hunch. Hey, Joe, look. Where? Up on the wall there, just by the window. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that plaster there, it's newer than the rest. You got a knife? Oh, I sure have, boy, and I'm carving. It... That manager'd be awful unhappy with me if he is here. Yeah, he would. Yeah, it might... Hey, Joe, here it is. A slug. They plastered right over Okay, it. dig it out and let's hope it matches. It matched. The slug from the wall came from the same 44 Smith & Wesson that had been used in the other shootings. So now we had a name to work on, Carl Stuba. But he'd done a good job of dropping out of sight. Well, the next day, Ben thought he had another lead. I've just been talking to another informant, Joe. He says he heard that there's a fella down in that neighborhood been trying to sell a gun lately. What kind of a gun? Nickel-plated with steer horn handles. Nickel-plated? Well, maybe that's our 44 Smith & Wesson. Maybe. Did the informant know who this man was? Said the fella's name was Alonzo. Yeah. Alonzo who? Just Alonzo. 
That's all he knew. So now we had two names, Stuba and Alonzo, but no men to go with them. So we went back to making the rounds of the substations, interviewing redheaded suspects. We took a few of them to Williams, who was home from the hospital by now, but he couldn't identify any of them as the man who shot him. Still, we kept checking. Finally, we got around to the 77th Street station. We questioned the suspects they were holding there, and we just started to leave when one of the officers called us. Hey, Sarge, yeah. we're holding somebody else you might want to look at. Redhead? No. What's the chore? Suspicion of burglary? Small job. Oh, I don't know. What do you think, Ben? What's special about him? He lives in the same neighborhood where those shootings took place. All right. Where you got him? Down here. You admit anything? Nope. He's pretty surly. Here we are. Thanks. Yeah. Hi. What do you want? I'm Sergeant Friday. This is Sergeant Romero. We'd like to ask you a few questions. Look, I already told the other cops all I know. I didn't steal no radio from that jerk. What's your name? We've been through all that once. Come on, what's your name? Jackson. Alonzo Jackson. Alonzo. I looked at Ben and Ben looked at me. This could be the Alonzo who'd been trying to peddle that Smith & Wesson. Ben and I both knew here was one suspect we'd have to be real careful with. Alonzo, uh... According to the records, this burglary you're suspected of took place on the night of the 27th. Look, how many times do I have to tell you guys they didn't have anything to do with it? You got an alibi for that night? Sure, I got an alibi. I was out with a couple of friends, I can tell you. What's your friend's name, Alonzo? One of them's Cranley, the other Stuba. Stuba, the guy who used to live in the bungalow court. Well, we told Alonzo he'd have to produce his two friends to give him an alibi for the burglary charge, and he bit. He went with us, and he pointed out where Stuba was living now. No wonder we hadn't been able to find him. It was a little shack at the back of a lot behind two houses. We thought it was a chicken coop at first. We took Alonzo back to the station, then we picked up Stuba. He was surprised to see us and not very happy. We took him in. Next, Alonzo gave us Crandall's address. Yes? Mr. Crandall in? No. Will he be back soon? I don't know. Who are you? Sergeant Friday, Sergeant Romero, police. What do you want with him? Oh, nothing important, lady. We just wanted him as a witness. Oh. Well, I don't know just when he'll be back. Probably an hour or two. Okay, thanks. We went down the street away, and we staked out in the car. We sat there for about five hours, and then Ben nudged me in the ribs. Hey, Joe. Huh? Joe, take a look. Coming along the sidewalk. Yeah, and he's got red hair. Come on. Crandall. Huh? Your name Crandall? Who are you? Friday Romero, police. Police? What do you want with me? I, I haven't done nothing. Well, then you got nothing in the world to worry about. Come on. We questioned Crandall for an hour, but he wouldn't give an inch. Denied everything. Then we put him in a car and we drove over to Officer Williams' house. I left Ben in the living room with Crandall while I went in Williams' bedroom. Hello, Sarge. Hi, Williams. How you doing? Yeah, a little better, I think. That's fine. Look, we've got another redhead outside. <laughs> Bring him in. Okay. 
All right, Crandall, come on in here. Who's in there? Why'd you bring me over here? Come on in here. How about it, Williams? That's the guy. No, I'm That's not. That's the I... guy that shot me. Well, Crandall. No. Yeah. I... It... it was an accident. I didn't mean to shoot him. It was an accident. Once Crandall got started, he talked his head off. He also admitted being in on the liquor store killing, but insisted he was only the lookout. We took him back to the station and got his whole story down on a tape recorder. Yeah, he was left-handed. Then we went back to Alonzo, who didn't know we had Crandall's confession. We met the chief in the hall outside the room where they were holding Alonzo. About ready to tie the knot? Oh, hope so, chief. But Alonzo hasn't given any yet. And we still haven't found those guns. We've got one of them. Which one? The Smith and Wesson. Stuba popped about that one ten minutes ago. Said he left it with his girl. A couple of the boys are on their way over to get it now. That's good, Ed. That leaves just the thirty-two twenty. You have mentioned the thirty-two twenty to Alonzo, have you? No. He still thinks we're after that Smith and Wesson, and that's the way we're going to play it right now. Go ahead. Look, how much longer are you guys going to hold me here? Didn't you check with those friends of mine? Alonzo, we got a tip that you've been trying to sell a gun lately. A gun? Yeah, 44 Smith and Wesson. Oh. No, it's not true. That Smith and Wesson's been using a couple of robbery jobs this month, and we think it's your gun. That's a lie. Any proof of that? Why, yeah. Sure, I got proof of that. Uh, I used to have a gun, but it wasn't a Smith & Wesson. Look, if I tell you where it is, that ought to convince you, shouldn't it? It'll help things. Okay. I sold it to a neighbor of mine. He gave me seven bucks. I'll give you his address. You sure it's not a Smith & Wesson? Sure, I'm sure. It's a thirty-two twenty. Yeah, it worked. We went to the neighbor's address, and he admitted having bought the thirty-two twenty, but said he'd lent it to a friend who'd never returned it. The friend had hocked the gun to a barber. The barber gave him 15 bucks and a haircut for it. We finally got it from the barber, and we came back to the station. I'm all set, Joe. I'll be in the next room. Just give me the nod. Okay. Hello, Alonzo. Hey, you got the gun. Yeah, we got the gun. Well, now maybe you'll believe I'm on the level. Okay, if I go now? I guess we won't be able to hold you here much longer. You can say that again, brother. You could have saved a lot of time for you to listen to what I've been trying to tell you all along. I guess you're right, Alonzo. Sure, I'm right. You know, you guys would be a lot better off. You believe guys like me the first time we tell you something. But on the liquor Instead store of running, job, I was only uh, a lookout. I was uh, outside. Uh, it was the other two who pulled that one. Uh, Stuba and Alonzo. Alonzo killed a clerk. Hold it, Alonzo. All right, Alonzo, that's enough. Now, come on, how about it? What's the use? All right. That's like he said. Okay, Ben, bring the recorder in here. Alonzo's ready to make a record now. By playing back Crandall's statement that we'd recorded earlier, we got a full confession from Alonzo. We took the three of them out and had them reenact the four shootings, and we photographed it on sound film. Crandall, the redhead, was the one who'd shot the two police officers, but he was only the lookout for the liquor store killing, which explains why the girl witness didn't see him in the store. Stuba and Alonzo were the ones who pulled that job, and Alonzo, the worst of the bunch, was the one who put the thirty-two twenty against the spine of the wounded clerk. The three of them took turns at shooting the cab drivers and robbing them. 
That accounted for the mixed-up descriptions, including all that left-handed business. Two of the three suspects happened to be left-handed. Well, that was the crop. Crandall Alonzo Stuba. Four shootings, three robberies, four attempted murders, one murder. The three men were tried and convicted. They're all in the state penitentiary. Crandall's there for life. Alonzo and Stuba, they'll be executed next week. File it, will you, Ben? Case closed. Dragnet! The story you have just heard was true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. You have just heard the second in a new series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice for Dragnet comes from the office of C.B. Horrell, Chief of Police, Los Angeles Police Department. Tonight's program is dedicated to Radio Officer Delmer E. Cook of the Los Angeles Police Department, who, on the afternoon of December 6, 1948, gave his life so that yours might be more secure. Dragnet came to you from Los Angeles. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. This is Andrew from otrwesterns.com. I wanted to invite you to come take a look at our site where we put out podcasts of old-time radio westerns. Check us out at otrwesterns.com. You're listening to The Great Detectives of Old-Time Radio with Adam Graham. Now let's get back into the show. Oh, that was definitely a different episode. Uh, I don't know... Uh, uh, generally, when you listen to Dragnet, you you know that the that they're telling you you know the absolute truth the way it happened. This one, this one, I've got a question. I, I don't understand the motivation of the two people who ended up getting executed, who went out and reenacted all the shootings that they'd done, and were filmed doing it. Uh, I mean, we had I guess we had some really cooperative criminals back in the 1940s. But other than that plot point, I, I think you saw you see a lot of the great elements um, of Dragnet uh, forming uh, in terms of the in, in terms of the, the dialogue and the pacing. Uh, one thing that you saw there, you will never again hear in uh, uh, Dragnet, is where uh, J- uh, Joe Friday basically goes ahead and does the wrap up. You don't you don't hear that. Uh, you don't hear that again. Uh, you get to the point where you have the uh, narrator do it, which, which of course, makes sense. Mainly, I guess, because that's what we're used to. But I'll be back next week. Next week, we're going to be uh, watching uh, Waitress Robbed and, and Shot. I wonder what that's about. Uh, no, seriously. This is a great show, and I look to having you back uh, next week for another episode of the Old Time Dragnet Show. This is Adam Graham signing off. Welcome back. Okay, I'll talk about some insights on the episode itself and then on my hosting talents in this uh, episode, or lack thereof, I guess. 
I still agree with me about the music being weird, but I think I can better articulate the big problem with it. It's just way too busy for the type of show that uh, Agnet was trying to be. I don't know if it's horrible. In fact, the uh, way they say Dragnet kind of reminds me about of the uh, people who go Nightbeat um, on Nightbeat. I wonder if they got the same people to actually do that. Uh, another thing you notice is the language and the way that Friday talks when he is uh, narrating is somewhat different than what we would come to uh, hear when the series got established. The language and tone that Friday used in his uh, narrations was usually very professional and uh, like something you might read in a police report. In this episode, I note that uh, Joe Friday actually refers to a particular location as a joint. And that's just the main example of somewhat more uh, colloquial type of uh, narration like you might hear on a typical uh, private detective show, uh, that would uh, kind of change the more distinctive style we got used to over time. Uh, I still think the best thing about listening to those early episodes of Dragnet is just seeing how the show uh, formed. If you watch uh, the Dragnet TV show, it's pretty much all well formed out. It knows what it does. It's got its own style and it's got its own cadence. Uh, when you listen to the early episodes of Dragnet, you get to hear all of that just evolve, you know, right before your ears. Now, on to myself. I will say this for my younger self. I was enthusiastic. I think that's a good word. Though I did get a few things wrong I'll, I'll talk about in a second. At this point, I really was very new to this. And uh, don't quote me on this, but I do believe that I was recording these episodes live at this point, where I would uh, record the episode and then I would use a program to go ahead and play the uh, episode audio uh, so that people could listen to it. There was never much demand for it. And to be honest, uh, the way that the phone system was set up, it was really hard to get good quality sound for the listener anyway, which is why I eventually uh, abandoned that. So keep in mind, in my defense, that I was doing this live and I think, in my possible defense, I think I was doing this live at this point. And one thing I would learn over the years is that I didn't need to include all my knowledge right at the start of the episode. And uh, a lot of those details could be say, particularly stuff that pertain to the entire series, because there are more than 300 episodes of Dragnet out there, which gives us plenty of time to uh, discuss various details. And one thing I've tried to do more and more is to not make the front end of the program have such long commentary. Obviously, this special's been a bit of an exception, with about four minutes of my commentary, followed by four minutes of my older commentary. 
But generally, when I have a series for a while, I'll try and break up the little bits of knowledge I've gathered into several weeks. So I might talk about a lot about the just general show and how it came to air in the first week. And then the second week, I might go into some detail on the store. Now to a couple of corrections. Obviously, Raymond Burr was not in this. And there was some uh, confusion. And that part of the reason why I think uh, that I was probably playing it live. Because Raymond Burr, of course, did come along and play the role of Ed Backstrand, and I would really enjoyed him in that role. But I may have forgotten somebody else was in there, or not thought too much about it, because we're dealing with lesser quality sound at that point, and voices were harder to distinguish. But of course, Ed Backstrand in this one was Charlie McGraw. And I have to say that getting rid of Charlie McGraw may have been a very smart thing to do when it comes to the dramatic um, presence of Dragnet. McGraw was almost, it seemed as I listened to him today, really a bit over the top with the way he did his delivery. It didn't fit with the rest of the series. Like, even the way he told them that there was a hot shot, it just felt overly dramatic and overly done and kind of hammy. And I think Burr would bring a lot of the toughness to the role, but would also really fit the tone of the series a lot better, even though his character would end up edit, uh, exiting in December of 1949. I would also correct my very overzealous copyright disclaimer. I have to admit, I had to kind of chuckle at myself listening to that. For some reason, I thought the best introduction to my show is, Hello, this is Adam Graham, and this is not illegal! <laughs> now, uh, you know, I, I think that there are probably some additional legal complexities that my ever-so-brief explanation might not cover, but I still think any old-time radio show is in and of itself fair game, unless it's one of those shows that people made a big deal about from copyright issues, such as The Shadow. I'm dubious about the claim, but I'm not here to litigate anybody's claim to anything. Uh, I would amend the time, though, that I gave is I have learned that copyright law uh, radio programs made after February 1972, uh, if they had a copyright notice, are actually still are under uh, copyright protection. Given that there wasn't a whole lot of uh, dramatic radio made between 1972 and 1978, this is not particularly relevant, but I'm still at heart the guy who began uh, the show uh, with... Uh, citing to uh, public domain and such. Now, I think that there um, is more I could pick at, but I don't see any real reason in doing that. I don't want to get people being mad at me for being mean to myself. And really, I don't think that there's um, any real cause. It's Everybody has to start out, and that's where I started out from. And I'm glad I took the plunge and the awkward first steps. And I stumbled and bumbled and eventually got a little bit better. It's a journey. And I'd encourage anyone who has uh, something they would like to do via podcast, set out to try to take their best shot. Because there are so many 
podcasters, video bloggers who started out. And if you go back to the early stuff, it's a bit awkward. But they kept at it. And that definitely uh, is encouraging because so many people have had great success. For me, I've been really blessed by all of you who have managed to stay with me and be such an encouragement even when I wasn't quite the best and I still have a ways to go. So thank you so much. And uh, with that, I'll turn to a few listener comments and feedback for today's show. Lisa says, uh, congratulations, Adam. Thanks for all you do for the best podcast ever. Uh, Debbie also says, congratulations. Awesome podcast. Love it. And Dave says, you've come a long way from number one. Indeed, I have. And hopefully we've got quite a ways to go. Well, Thank you so much for listening for the past 10 years, and I look forward to the years ahead. If you do have a comment, send it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives, and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.